Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. What we've been doing, we've been going through the parables of Jesus. We've only been doing it for a couple of weeks and we started in Matthew 13. I have a hard time jumping around like from parable to parable, like different places. I, I like, I like, you know, the proper Bible study method is read things in context. So we started in 13 and we started with the parable of the sower and that led us to the parable of the tares and that led us to this morning. And so I just can't, we're going to stay in Matthew 13 until Jesus is done. I don't want to move on and jump around. Let's just read through the right, the Bible's This is what's going on. This is Jesus intentionally writing the parables in order. So let's just read through. And what we have been seeing, now this is the problem with the, with the, we've been learning about the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God is where Jesus is king, right? Or God is king or Jesus is king, one and the same, but there's a king and there's a kingdom. Now the problem that we've been seeing is that for Israel, Israel was waiting for their Mashiach, the Messiah, the Hamashiach, right? Jesus was to come and be the king of who? The Jews. Now, the problem with that is that the Jews were rejecting Jesus, right? So here's here's the Mashiach, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, right? That's that's who Jesus was, and nobody's following him. The, 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 The religious leaders of the time are saying, this is not our king. He's not our Messiah. The scribes, they want nothing to do with Jesus. And so the disciples are like, okay, this is weird. Um... I don't know what's going on here. We're supposed to have a kingdom. I'm looking at 12 dudes. One's got shifty eyes, Judas, all right? And and I I don't know how the kingdom is going to happen when the king is being rejected. And so then Jesus like, wait, let me just make you feel a little bit better. Here's how it's going to happen is we're going to preach the gospel and a lot of people are going to reject it. So so even still, a lot of people are going to reject this. Satan is actually going to come after you right? Satan is going to take up the seed. People aren't going to receive it. And then last week we saw the tares. He says, and even the people who seemingly accept it, Satan's going to come in and plant tares. False believers. It's exciting, all right? That's, that's encouraging. The kingdom is going to be awesome, right? Jesus like, the kingdom is going to be my... But, so the disciples are worried, like, what's going on here? So then this is where the encouragement comes. Jesus prophesies over the kingdom, and we get to these two parables, and he gives them encouragement. And we're going to spend a little time here. I'm going to try to get as fast as I can through this parable, uh, these parables because we got, a, like I said, three to go. But Matthew 13, this is Jesus' encouragement. This is Jesus' prophecy over the kingdom. He says this, another, this is verse 31, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in the field, which indeed is the least of the seeds. But when it's grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Okay, so now Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed. A little tiny seed, small seed. Now, before y'all who know things about seeds get all upset, 
Like, that's not the smallest seed. Okay, now the mustard seed is not technically the smallest seed. Jesus was wrong. No, listen. Okay, first of all, it's just an illustration. Secondly, at this time in ancient Palestine, this was the the smallest known to this area. Okay, so get off me. All right, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus is saying, he's just an illustration. Here's a small thing, and it's going to be planted, and it's going to grow. He doesn't explain this parable. So one of the two things is happening. The disciples are either like, we don't get this, but we can't ask Jesus any more questions. Or they do get it and they understand it. And I believe that they understand it. And the reason why is because this is very similar to something that happens in Daniel chapter 4 in their own scriptures. In Daniel chapter 4, what we see is King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he's gonna, this is the dream that he has. He says, these were the visions of my head while I was in bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its heights reached to the heavens, and it could be seen in the, to the ends of the earth. Now listen to this. Its leaves were lovely, its fruits were abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. So, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, very similar to this idea of the parable of the tree where the birds are resting and it's going to grow and grow and the birds are going to find homes and a haven in it. And Daniel, the interpretation is, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. Babylon, you're the tree. And Babylon's going to grow and it's going to become mighty. But here's the beautiful thing. As Babylon is blessed, it becomes a blessing to the world. As Babylon grows, it's going to be a blessing in agriculture, in architecture, in art, in literature, in economics, all other. See, here's the thing. The birds, the animals, they represent the nations of the world. And what Daniel saw was all the nations of the world will be blessed by the growth and the power of Babylon. And so now Jesus is saying, look, you have this small little seed, a bunch of disciples don't illiterate, you know, fishermen, tax collectors, one's going to betray me. This is the group that I chose. And y'all are going to be like this little seed and you're going to grow. And as you grow, you're going to penetrate and you're going to get so strong that the world will be blessed by the kingdom of God. The world, the unbelieving world, the nations of the world will be blessed By the presence, listen, by the presence of the church. Jesus' prophecy has come true. Let me tell you something. This world, what would this world look like without Jesus? You see, don't believe the lie that, oh, the church is the the stain on this world. We get rid of the church and we could have utopia. Listen to me. I mean, and we talked about a lot of these things, and so I'm just going to breeze through as fast as I can. But we could go down the list. ethics or, or, or morality or, or human rights. So you don't get human rights from evolution. You don't get, what you get from evolution is the concentration camps. You see, what you get from evolution is the survival of the fittest, the strongest, the weak needs to be exterminated because they're a blip on our, our society. You see, human rights that were all created with it when trins, intrinsic value comes from the Judeo-Christian belief in the Imago Dei. We're created in the image of our creator. And so therefore, we have rights. We are somebody. You are somebody. And not because you're a bag of protoplasm and a bag that has over millions and billions of years evolved into something else. Women's rights. 
Women's rights, man. Women's, in, in, ancient, in, in ancient Rome, Rome, women were considered second-class citizens. In fact, many, uh, Aristotle himself said a woman is between a slave and a free man. It was very common for a, a, a mother who had a, had a child who was a girl, a female, to throw her outside in the elements and let her die because she didn't bring much worth. In fact, a widow, when a, when a husband died, a widow in, in Rome was illegal to be a widow for more than two years. It was the church that came along and said, no, 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 no. We're going to take care of the widows and orphans. You don't have to, you don't have to remarry. You don't have to remarry if you even want to. Stay, stay widow. Worship God. Live for Jesus. Be, like Paul says, be free from the, the cares of this world and not be double-minded. No, go. The church supported that. In fact, in many places of the world, we still see this, but the church's ministry, the church missionary work, in, in India, for example, it used to be common practice that when, you, when a woman lost her husband, that the, the wife would voluntarily or involuntarily be burned at the stake at the funeral of her husband. And it was the church, the missionaries that came in. Talking about children's rights? Children's rights. Children were nothing. They were property. In fact, they, they, were, they were a lot of times it was seen as a beautiful act in Rome to worship and sacrifice your child. And the pagan, that's what we see with Baal and Molech and all of these different sacrificing of his beautiful. It was an act of worship. We see this idea even today, the modern pro-life movement is often mostly Christians. Did you know that's not, this is not a new thing, pro-life movement, abortion. Did you know you go all the way back to the second century of Christianity, there's something called the diadact. It's a document, early Christian document, and in it, it gave directions that forbid abortion. We go back to slavery. It was actually the early church that would purchase slaves to set them free. In fact, William Wilberforce, one of the evangelical, uh, evangelicals, is credited to stopping the international trade, the slave trade movement because he read in the Bible that all men are created equal. And that we all have intrinsic value. Did you know that in the early Americans, the, the two-thirds of the Christian Abolition Society in 1835 were Christian ministers? We talk about gladiators, fifth century monk ended gladiators, cannibalism, missionaries going around the world preaching the gospel, ends cannibalism in many places, compassion and mercy. Did you know that before Jesus Christ, there is really no record of any organized charitable efforts? And then today, what we see with all the ideas of charitable, whether it's uh, the uh, Salvation Army, whether it is, is, is uh, uh, Christian missionary hospitals, whether it's uh, open door soup kitchens, those kind of things, all run by the church. Now, there's a lot of non-Christian organizations that do a lot of great things, humanitarian things, but we would not be here if it wasn't for Jesus and his teachings about love thy neighbor as yourself and be a good Samaritan and all the teachings of Jesus. Where would we be without Jesus? Loving and helping the foreigners. Did you know that the, the reason why you care when Haiti has an earthquake the reason why you care when there's a tsunami in Japan or across the globe, the reason why you even grieve and you care about that and we send money to that is not because you're just an awesome person. It's because you were raised in an understanding of Judeo-Christian values and morals. You go to China, you know that they have a whole proverb in China that says the tears of a stranger is water. You go to India and you try to, be, you try to help people in a caste system, they reject you in a caste system because they are getting what they deserve because if, and if they're good enough in the next life, they will be better. Literature, education, we are actually, the, the Puritans were the first to actually pass education for the masses. Literature, the literacy rate, the reason why we have literature and why, while even uh, certain languages are even written was because the, the church and the missionaries wrote down language in, uh, in writing to promote the scriptures. 
Literacy. Did you know that the Puritans were the first to pass a, a literacy or, or education for the masses? It was actually called the Old Satan Deluder Act or Old Deluder Satan Act, that they promoted those scriptures to all people, education. We need to get everybody to read the Bible, read scripture, know the word. And by doing that, it created literacy. In fact, the first 200 years, we had a, such a high literacy rate in America that John Quincy Adams says that four-tenths of 1% of people are illiterate. Compare that to today where 40 million people are estimated to be functionally illiterate because they had a high value of teaching people the word and how to study and read the word of God. Colleges, 123 colleges were founded, Christian institutions. Do you know Harvard used to, this is what they used to believe, this is what they said, this is founding. Every, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider, well, their main end of life and studies is to know God and Jesus, which is eternal life. Science. This is a big one. A lot of people are like, well, Christians and science, we're like, the, you know, that's the devil, right? You know, science is the devil. Like, that's what a lot of people think the Christians believe. We would not even have science if it weren't for the church. We would not even have scientific laws if it weren't for the beliefs of God. You don't get the scientific laws from evolution. And even the atheist knows this and has a hard time explaining the idea that the conformity of nature or the idea that the, the last 10 seconds is going to be the, the same as the next 10 seconds. You don't get scientific law if you can't, without a shadow of a doubt, prove that we will have gravity tomorrow. You can't get that with scientific law without knowing that we serve an orderly God. This is why no science came out of fatalistically determined mindsets of different places in the world or illusionary mindsets in, the, in different religions and different beliefs. This is why science didn't come out of the Muslim because Allah is unpredictable. Allah is not orderly, but we have and serve an orderly God in the Judeo-Christian worldview. And we know that he created the world to be orderly. And so therefore you have Sir Isaac Newton, you have Kepler, Boyle, these people coming out of this worldview of that God is orderly, his creation is orderly. How do we study an orderly creation to give glory to an orderly God. And so therefore, scientific laws came out of that. Art, music, the cantata, the symphony, the concerto, Beethoven, Bach used to sign every piece of work solely Deo Gloria, solely to the glory of God. Do not listen to the lie, the moronic lie, that if the church was just gone, if we could get rid of the church, if we could just destroy the church, if the church is the reason, the Christians are the reason, their morals and their ethics are the reason why we're not progressing. It is the church, the world, the atheists, the ones who cussing God are the same ones that are being blessed by the church. They're sitting in the branches. You see, just as in, in, in Israel, we were blessed to be a blessing. The church, the kingdom of God, has been blessed to be a blessing. And the world has benefited from Jesus prophesied that the church is going to be a little mustard seed. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. And it's going to impact the world. And the nations of the world will be blessed because of the kingdom. Amen? And so we have that prophecy, but then Jesus goes on. Now, now he goes on to another parable, very similar he says again, he says, another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak to them. He says that it might be fulfilled, 
which was spoken by the prophet. Say, now this is Psalm 78, I think it is, verse 2. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So now this is very similar. So we're not going to spend a lot of time here. Very similar to the, the idea of the mustard seed, but it says, now he's talking about leaven. I don't bake. Um, but apparently if you take leaven, I don't even know what leaven is, a yeast. So the same thing? Yeah? Okay. I'm trusting y'all. I do know this, that if you take it and you put it into dough, it will <laughs> penetrate and permeate the entire dough. And it will actually, that's what causes the dough to rise. That's why when the Bible says they have a dough without leaven, right? You have the unleavened dough, unleavened bread. It doesn't. It's the flat bread, right? So I know that, okay? But, and what, what's interesting is that throughout scripture, when you see leaven used, it's often used in a negative way, right? Jesus uses leaven. He says, do beware of the leaven of the, of the hypocr- hypocrisy, which is the leaven of the Pharisees, Right? What he's saying is like, man, you, you throw a little bit of leaven of hypocrisy in a church, I'll give it a year, maybe, before it's spread through the veins of the church and it takes down a church. You throw a little bit of gossip in the church, the leaven of gossip in a church, I'll give it six months before it spreads through and it destroys a church. And Jesus says, beware, do not let it. Paul says, he says, the leaven of the, 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 the unforgiving sinner, the one who's walking in their sin, an unrepentant sinner, do not let that toxic toxicity stay in the church. We need to make sure that we're taking, dealing with that because that leaven will actually destroy a church, a community, a body of believers. So there's an aspect of the leaven penetrating in the, 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 the lump, but here Jesus uses it in a positive light. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Now, it's very similar to the tree, except for leaven, the difference between the tree and leaven, the tree is gross and everybody can see it. The leaven is teased into the lump, the dough. It's this idea of hiding the leaven in the dough and working its way in the dough. Now, I'm not talking about hiding your light, right? We learned that in preschool. Hide it under a bushel. No, Right? We learn that we don't hide our lights. What we're talking about here is being in the world and not of it, right? What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. I'm going to take, I'm going to take Mark and I'm going to take this little leaven, this little clump of leaven, and I'm going to throw him in this workplace, in this dough, and he's going to affect it. And he's going to change it. And he's going to be teased in it. And he's going to be bouncing around with different people in his workplace. I'm going to take this little, I'm going to take Emily, this little leaven, I'm going to throw her into this classroom. I'm going to take this little leaven, I'm going to throw it into this house. I'm going to take this little leaven, I'm going to throw it into this neighborhood. And you are going to penetrate and you're going to permeate and you're going to affect everything that you're touching. And the kingdom of God will grow because the leaven is actually having an effect on the dough. See, is this true of us? See, I, I was actually thinking about it this week. I, uh, actually, last week, because I was going to preach this sermon last week, but then it just got too... And, and, and I once heard it said, man, what would it be like if everywhere you go, you get a yearbook? Your neighborhood. When you move away from your neighborhood, when you move out of your house and you move to another neighbor, what if you have a yearbook and you go around to neighbor to neighbor and said, sign it, please? What would they say? Hey, you... I always loved seeing you out there cutting grass. You always kept it good and short, and your dog never pooped in my yard. Thanks. Good luck at your next neighborhood. What if you're, you leave your work and you pass around your yearbook? It's nice to get to know you. You always were on time. Seemed to work hard, right? Kept your desk clean. Good luck at your next job. 
school, as your gym, you were really big, dude. Liked watching you lift weights. Good luck at your next gym. I mean, honestly, what would people say? Some of us in this room, you know, I got, I got to brag, you know, I, I get credit for this. So I get credit when I brag on my wife, okay? So I get to do it. <laughs> when y'all become pastors and, and preach, then you get to brag on your spouse to get extra credit points. Um, no, but seriously, no, just here, on all honesty, this woman, I am so blown away by. She challenges me. I look at what she, she moves, she works in, a, in the hospital and she started a Bible study. And within the Bible study, she is changing lives. People that were not believers or are very scared, scared believers are now walking in boldness, telling their, their parents, telling their family, telling people. She has created a whole cell of people in her community just by stepping out in faith and being 11 in her workplace. And so if she had a yearbook in her workplace, you changed my life. You absolutely changed my life. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for you. And I will remember you always because of that. I will be in heaven because of you. Guys, are we going to find that in our yearbook? Because the Bible says we're supposed to be leaven. Now, this is where we're going to move on. We're going to take the next step because this is, this is the challenging part. Now, I could tell you guys we need to be leaven. And how do I convince you to do so? Do I yell at you more? Scare you? I could talk about hell for a little bit and scare you all into being leaven. You know, I could, I could do my, my thing, you know, my music thing again, right? I could play this and have the music playing and start talking and make sure that you guys are encouraged and love Jesus and every word I say sounds insightful. I could do that. But see, there's, there's, there's a key. I, I, there's no matter what I say, no matter what I do, even for myself, we can't convince ourselves or talk ourselves into being the leaven and being bold for Jesus to go out in the world and do things. But Jesus actually tells us, how do we become on fire for Jesus to be the leaven, be excited about being in this world and not of it and sharing the gospel? This is what Jesus says. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay, so Jesus says that it's like a treasure. Now, this happened quite a bit. You see, they didn't have banks back then. So they would take their treasures, their money, their jewelry, all things of worth value. Sometimes even in, in hard times, they would actually take food. They would stick it in jars and they would bury it on their land, right? Because they didn't banks, they didn't place to keep it safe. Now, what happened is, I don't know if you know history, but Palestine has been at war since the time of... Since God created this heavens and earth, right? Like Palestine has been war. All the way back to Abraham, we see there's war in the Middle East. There's war in Palestine. And so what happens was there are many people who would bury their treasure, and because they go to war, they die in battle, and they never told their loved ones where the treasure was. Or they got ran, ran out of their, their, their land, they got run off their property, and they were never able to retrieve their treasure. Or just natural things of life, they die and never told anybody. And so now, actually, they say, some people say, if you go to Palestine today just, and start searching, there's a lot of people who buried their treasure that was never found, right? So... Treasure hunters, go, go. And so what he says, though, is that imagine one day you're walking down on somebody's field and, and somebody bought this property, didn't know the treasure was there. You trip over a rock and you realize, oh, it's a pot. And in the pot is a lot of treasure. Let's put it in our modern day vernacular. So if you're trying to buy a two bedroom, one, bed, uh, one bath house on two acres of property for $500,000, that's where we are today. And you go on the property and you find this treasure that nobody knows about, 
and you and the treasure is a hundred million dollars. Okay, hundred million dollars. What are you going to do? You're going to bury it? Now listen, they go, that's immoral. Okay, that's immoral. Jesus is teaching an immoral. No, here's actually the thing. The, there was an old Judaism saying: "Finders keepers, losers weepers." Like it was. Uh, it was actually. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in, there was something in the Judaism, in the, in, the, in the Talmud that talks about, even Josephus mentions this, in the Talmud that talks about if you find something that, is, that belongs to somebody else, but they don't know they lost it, if you find a lost treasure, it is actually belongs to you. So it's not, this is not an immoral thing. This is not an unethical thing. So Jesus was teaching. Anyways, you bury it. Okay, so this ever happens to you. You bury it, and you run, and you go sell everything. Why? Because you know that as soon as you buy this property, you're a millionaire. And I don't care what you have to sell. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell my guitars. I'm selling my car. I'm selling my truck. I'm selling my cat. Everything I have, I'm getting rid of so that I can, once I buy this property, I'm immediately a millionaire because I received the treasure. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he goes on, same thing. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, um, so now there's another parable. Same thing, same concept. A merchant goes out, he's looking for pearls, finds all these pearls. Now, pearls in this time were seen as valuable as diamonds in our time. So there were, there were actually uh, Egyptians and Romans saw pearls as being priceless. They were so worth valuable. And so the pearl, this merchant goes out, finds all these pearls, loves them, but then he finds this one pearl. And I don't know what makes one pearl better than another pearl, but a pearlman would know. This merchant finds this amazing pearl of great value, and he is willing to sell everything he has, all his other pearls, all his treasure, to buy the pearl. Same parable. Question is, is what do these parables have to do with the kingdom? What's Jesus talking about? You see, what Jesus is talking about is how we must enter into the kingdom of heaven in order to now be people who are ready to go and excited to go and be leavened in this world, to be the change in this world. You see, what he's talking about is how salvation, if you want to know how to be saved or how this is, all works out, you want to know what the, the exchange here is, what he's, then this verse, these parables are so important. These things must take place in order for salvation to take place. And I'm drawing out four things that Jesus is talking about. There's more in here, but there's four things that I feel like are very valuable and important. The first thing, this is, this is really big. The first thing is that the kingdom of God, in order to inherit the kingdom of God, it must be personally appropriated. The kingdom of God is not inherited. The kingdom of God is not inherited. It's not like ethnicity. It's not like, you know, somebody's leaving you a house or, 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 or you know, will. It, it, it's not inherited. And in both, of these per, in both of these parables, there's a man who saw the treasure and he personally was willing to sacrifice all he had to buy the field. He was willing to lay it all down to, uh, to receive the blessing, the immeasurable blessing and the value of the treasure. One of my favorite quotes that I, I that, that is actually Jim. Jim tells this quote, and I love this quote, but it is, the quote is, God has no grandchildren. Now, this is not just in America, and this is not just in the Bible Belt. This is actually, we, what we see is, in, we see the same effects in Europe. You know, when I was in England, this is basically all you see in, in the churches, is that you have this religion of Christianity, because my great-grandfather was a Baptist preacher. My mama used to sing in the choir, and therefore, I'm a Christian. 
Now, we would never say that. What we would say was, I was raised Christian. I was taught Christian values. I was baptized when I was 13. I grew up in the church. I did a little bit. I walked a little bit away from God, but I came back because I know it's great values, and I'm raising my kids up in the church. It's just what we do. And, and see, here's the thing. You never had a moment in your life where you were broken because of your sin. You never had a moment in your life where you saw the weight of who you are in light of a holy God. You never, never had a moment in life where you were absolutely blown away by the grace of the cross. You never own this yourself. You were just raised up in, and I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and they were saying, well, if I was born in a Muslim country, I probably would be Muslim. Yeah, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian country. And I, and I, I said, no, no, I'm, I'm a Christian because there is no other way. <laughs> I may have been raised up in a Christian household, but I walked most of my life as non-Christian Living for myself, living for myself. It wasn't until later on in life I was broken over my sin. You see, that must take place. You do not inherit the kingdom of God. You do not get it. God has no grandchildren. God only has children. All right? The second thing we learn about this and from this is that this is priceless. Okay? This is priceless. The kingdom of God is priceless. Now, uh, we see this in, in the parables, but I want to read Job real quick. And Job says, surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess and ore in the darkness and the shadow of death. And he breaks open the shaft away from people in places forgotten by feet. They hang far away from men. They swing to and fro. Its stones are the source of sapphire. It contains gold dust, the path no bird's nose, nor has the falcon's eye seen it. They cut out channels in the rocks. His eyes sees every precious thing. He dams up the stream from trickling, what is hidden, he brings forth to light. See, what Job is talking about, what the Bible is talking about, it doesn't matter. All men's efforts to mine, to take, to refine, to polish, to mount, to sell, to, 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 to all these stones and metals, no matter how much we search, no matter how much we find, all of these things are found to not, not sustain. They're not worthwhile and they're not lasting. Which, by the way, is strong evidence, just as a side note, is strong evidence for why we are created and we're not for this world. Why evolution is wrong. Strong evidence that you will not find something in this world to, to satisfy you. C.S. Lewis, he mentions this idea that if we were created for this world and by this world and in this world, that we would find something in this world to satisfy. The fact that we don't find something in this world to satisfy is evidence that we're not for this world. But it's his whole point. Like, look... If you are, if we are all evolved from apes and monkeys, you would think that if I'm the same as the tree, which a lot of people think I am, like we're all the same, just I got lucky to be evolved into a person and they just, you know, a squirrel. You know, if I wish I had my way, I'd be a lion, right? Like, you know, they seem to have it all together. Um, but we're all the same, which means that you would think that if I'm from this world, evolved from this world, I'm a part of this world, it's all whatever, then I would find something in this world to solve my broken heart when my wife dies. There would be something, right? There would be like, hey, go up on this mountain and go smell this flower. And it's going to do something in your brain that's going to fix you. Then when you have anxiety, we have people struggling with anxiety and there would be something, hey, go, go to South Africa in this place, there is a frog. If you go to this frog and this toad, you lick it, you will no longer have anxiety. 
right? There would be something in this that the world produces that would solve depression. Because we're of, if we're of this world and we're in this world, hey, you struggle with depression, I've got a thing for you. I've got something. I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this, this, this beetle, this African beetle. I don't know everything's in Africa. It's just a big place. The South American beetle, okay? And if you take this beetle and you take his dung and you roll it up in tea and you mix it all together and you drink it, you will no longer be depressed. It will fix it. But that's not what we see. There's nothing in this world that's solving your anxiety. Now, before you get all, but yes, there is. I, you know, we have stuff that we could take. Listen, that stuff doesn't heal your anxiety. That stuff numbs your anxiety. And there's stuff for depression. No, there's not. That stuff numbs. I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm not getting on it. If, you, if you're in this room and you struggle and you're taking something, I'm not, look, that's between you and God. I'm not saying that's wrong. All I'm saying is, look, listen. There's nothing in this world that is going to make you content or satisfied. Now, in the flesh, if I'm hungry, this world offers food. If I'm thirsty, this world offers what I need. If I'm sick, here's a shocker, y'all. When I'm sick, this world actually offers what I need. I don't need to go take a bunch of pills that were magically morphed into this this room. There's plants. There's actual healthy, natural I mean. Sorry, I don't want to get off on that. Y'all, anyways, that was my wife coming out. Okay, um, that was my wife. But the world has what it takes for our bodies, right? But not for our spirit. Not for the deeper deepness and not the deeper sense of who we are. This world does not satisfy. But the Bible says that, the, that God, is, God is all satisfying, that in the gospel, in the kingdom, we have everything we need. That we have all the blessings as children of the living God. That in the kingdom, in this, we have the priceless, precious treasure. We have faithfulness. We have joy. We have forgiveness. We have love. We have peace. We have hope. We have, we have purity. We have righteousness. We have glory. We have hope. We have eternal life in the treasure. It's priceless. What are you, what are you, what are you going to find that's going to give you all of that? Money? Food, right? Like, what are you going to find? Like, there's nothing in this world that's going to offer you what the treasures of the kingdom offer you, which brings us up to the third point. Third point is that it is the source of joy. Notice, every one of these people, they offer, they offer the treasures what? Enjoy, right? They sell everything. Enjoy. I'm, I gladly give it up. It's enjoy. I give up. Now, everything we do is to seek after joy, right? You eat because of the joy that it will bring to your taste buds, to your palate. And then if you're on a diet, you eat rabbit food, not because of the joy it brings for the taste buds, but because of the effects it has on your body, right? You know, we, we seek money. Why? Not because money's awesome, but because of the joy it's going to bring to have safety and security, the false lies of the money, or what money can buy, the joy. We long for joy. That's what we strive for, pure joy. Your, 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 your power, your fame, your knowledge, all is the longing for joy. Even you who are Eeyores. If you're in this room and you're an Eeyore, you're always like, oh, woe is me. My life stinks. I hate this. If that's you, even in that, you find joy. You have found some way to mope and find joy. You mope because you find joy in it. <laughs> you may, I've met some people that things are going awesome in their life, and they're still moping. I'm like, man, this is like a powerful drug. It's like, man, Eeyore, who would have thought? Winnie the Pooh, subliminal messaging. 
But in Christ, we have, once again, this is all, we all know this, but in the, in the kingdom, in the gospel is pure joy in God, pure joy, lasting joy. The treasure is joy. Now, but listen, when you walk into a church, any given church, and I can I'll call you to stand up on stage and look out, I don't know if you'll see joy. Sometimes it looks, I walk in here, I'm like, man, like who peed on your Cheerios? Like, I don't know. Like, what did I do? Like, do you want me to juggle? I don't know how to make you smile. We worship, you know, let the joy of the Lord be our strength. And you're like, okay, um, yeah, awesome. And also, you know, even, even in, you know, one of the, as a pastor, I get a lot of these questions and, you know, people come to me after service or not so much, well, it happens here, but um, people come up and say, hey, David, I don't know, I, I heard what you said, do, do I really have to give it up? I mean, I, I know you said this, but I'm living with my girlfriend, but do I really have to stop? Like, what if, what if I do this and do I really, I mean, what if we stop? You know, what if we, you know, what if we get a, a dog to keep us busy otherwise? Like, what, what happens if, you know, what, do I really have, you know, you talked about money today. I know you talked about Santa Claus. What, do I really? And, and it's like this, how do I justify, is there, is there any, like, way to get around this loophole? I mean, you're a pastor, you know the loopholes of the scriptures, Right? Can we get around this? And it's this, and it's this idea of like, man, and here's another thing, you guys, and I'm not, I'm, hear me, I'm not in any way con- condemning or saying this against anybody in this room who has come out, to, come out here and said this because I have said this multiple times, but I was thinking about it this week that when I preach a message, and like last week it was really hard and it was challenging for me, and even myself, like when I get challenged by the word of God or get challenged by something in the word of God, we'll walk away and say, like, man, that was tough. That was hard. Man, you, you're stepping on my toes. And I offset that to God. I'm like, God, that's like, you're stepping on me, bro. Like, knock it off. Like, give me a break. I, I want to do something, right? Like, and you know, and it's like, you feel like that's just, t- oh man, I don't know if I could give that. I don't. And I was thinking about it this morning, actually, as I was thinking about the sermon. I was thinking, about, like, man, the only time in scripture that you see anybody walking away like that is the rich man. It was the rich man. Remember, Jesus says, hey, the rich man goes, hey, what, what do I have to do to get into the, to, to, to be saved, really? And what does Jesus say? He says, uh, you know, and he says, well, what does the law say or whatever it says? But he goes, he goes, now I tell you, Jesus tells the man, give all your possessions or sell your possessions and give it to the poor and follow me. And what does he say? What does he do? Man, I'm so rich. Do I really have to give up my stuff? Jesus just stepped on my toes. That's tough. And he walked away sad because he was so wealthy. But then the next scene, you got this little short man running up. Jesus is in the crowd. And this short dude comes up and he's climbing up a tree. And he's like, I got to see him. Whatever, little Zacchaeus, little wee little man. He climbs up this tree. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see him. I got, and Jesus sees this wee little man. And he says, come here, wee little man. Come here, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus climbs down the tree. And he says, take me out to eat, right? Take me to Applebee's. They go out to eat. And Jesus, and Zacchaeus is so blown away that he's in the presence of the Holy God that Jesus, he's 
get the kingdom. He gets Jesus. He gets God. He's like, I have all this money. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give back to what I owe the people, and I'm going to sell the rest to give to the poor. I don't care about it. I've got Jesus. Oh, you, you told me I gotta leave my, I can't live with my girlfriend because of the lust and the, like, I don't care. Take it. I don't want it. I got Jesus. Take, take my money. Take my lust. Take my pride. Take my Instagram. Take it all. I've got Jesus. I'm a wee little man and I've got the kingdom. That's the heart of somebody who sees the joy of the Lord that we get Jesus. Which brings us to our last point. And listen, this is huge for salvation. And it is that the salvation always comes through a transaction. Salvation always comes through a transaction. A lot of people struggle with these parables because it seems to teach that Jesus is saying you can buy your salvation right? These parables, I mean, these guys are selling everything they can to buy this, the treasure. You have to buy. Now, listen, from Genesis to Revelation, nowhere does it say anything about earning, buying. It is always by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, parables in general are earthly, physical things that teach spiritual realities. So in these two parables, the earthly, physical, economic transaction of money or pearls represents a a heavenly transaction of surrender. A heavenly transaction. There's an exchange for salvation. There has to be. This exchange, in order for you to be saved, this exchange, if this exchange has not happened, then this not happened. This exchange has to happen in order for salvation to be there. This exchange, the old for the new, You see, the sinner gives up his worthless life and he gives it up freely to receive the priceless things of God that he gives through Christ Jesus. Now, we we give up. Now, we're not paying for our salvation. In no way. You are not giving God anything that's worth value. In fact, you're giving everything him that's worthless. It's even worse than worthless. The Bible says that that for the unbeliever, the righteous deeds of an unbeliever are actually like filthy rags. So the righteous deeds of an unbeliever are filthy rags. They're worthless. It's like this, okay? One more illustration. Okay, so this guitar. I'm just rocking around. This guitar right here. This is my baby, okay? All these are my guitars, but I don't care about those. This one is worth about seven to eight grand, okay? No, I didn't buy that. I didn't pay for that. You're like, we pay my pastor way too much. Um, no, <laughs> I didn't buy I bought that really cheap, actually. And over the years, I've got that like 10 years ago. Over the years, it is an increase in value because of the kind of guitar it is. So it is my treasure. It is my, it's my baby, okay? I play it every Sunday. The other guitars are there just so everybody knows I have guitars, okay? <laughs> really, they're there because my wife said, get these out of my house, take them somewhere, okay? Um, but that's my treasure. Now, here's how we kind of view this transaction. We, we come over here, and this is our tithe bucket, okay? <laughs> and... Uh, we kind of view this transaction as being this. Okay, I have this tithe bucket, and there's some cash in here, right? You know, there's, there's some money, 20 bucks. And 
We say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exchange my treasure, my money, you know, for the treasure. Now, we know it's an exchange that's not really even value. I mean, it's not even equal. We know God's better. We know God's, you know, kingdom. But, but you know, we also believe that we have something of, well, I have, you know, I've got skills that I'm offering God. Or I have things in my life that I really, and so, you know, I, and then we get to that point where, uh, really, I don't know, because if I give it up, that's just a guitar. I don't even play guitar. How can I, you know, but it's awesome treasure. But, you know, maybe if I just give him, you know, 10 bucks, okay? I'll give him, I'll give him my Sunday morning and I'll give him a few times, you know, and I'll read the Bible. I'll give him a little bit and then I'm just going to pocket this resting because I want, I still want my pride and my, my lust. I still want my stuff and I'm just going to give God some treasure. And I get to keep something that's worth value to me. That transaction doesn't take place in the kingdom. And let me, let me tell you, I'm going to put this right here, guys, so now you know where the offering bucket is. <laughs> Just kidding. I was going to say on side note, man, because y'all, y'all are, are amazing. I mean, this church has been in faith, just givers and givers and givers and um, blowing us away. But this is, that's not the transaction. You see what the transaction? I went home this week, and I uh, went into my, my, my nursery, my baby's nursery, and I pulled out their trash bag. If you sat up front today, you know how I threw seeds at y'all last week. Um, this, is, this, is what, this is what we have. Before you're saved, this is you. You, the Bible, Paul says it's like rubbish. The word rubbish is actually so vile, so worse. It's actually cow excrement. And it's even like the harshest. I would say it, but then a lot of y'all would walk out and say, ooh, David said the S word. So I'm not going to say it, because, but it's that bad that it's like, it's worthless. It's vile. And yet, here's the exchange. God says, I want to give you the richest treasures, the greatest treasures in the world. All I want is your bag of rubbish. That's it. That's the exchange. That's the transaction. That's why it's so amazing. It's not like, but here's the problem. Many of us, even in this room, we're walking around and think, this is mine. This is, this is right here. This is, my, this is my Instagram account. And this one, I can't give that one. I'm like, this is my money. I, and look how beautiful it is. Does God really want to give? And by the way, I have I had COVID, and so my, my smell is gone. So I don't really care. Um, I, this is my this is my lust, and this is my pride. This is my treasure. This is my baby. This thing start leaking out. I'm sorry, but it's mine. And will I give God some of it? I, I don't know. I'll give God some of it. Maybe he can have this little piece right here. But a lot of, does God really want me to give him my precious? Guys, this is the amazing transaction. Is God saying treasure for junk, treasure for worthless, treasure for, uh, for your life. And see, here's why the transaction must take place. The transaction must take place because you cannot be a dual citizen. And the kingdom of God is completely opposite of the kingdom of the world. So you cannot be a, a member of the kingdom of this world and also be a member of the kingdom of God. You cannot be a citizen of the kingdom of God and say, but I still want to be a dual citizen and have, and have membership in this world. God says, no, you either for me and a citizen of my kingdom, of my child, or you're a child of the enemy. You're either friends with this world or you're friends with me. You either love this world or you love me. You cannot be both. You're a citizen. Pick your country. 
And when you make this transaction, this has to happen. Your life. Don't think you're worth, you're worth nothing. For the treasure. It's not even a close call. It's not a hard decision. And here's the thing. If it is a hard decision, then we have not found the treasure. We have found religion. We have found comfort in community. Listen, we have somebody, we, we have people who are here who, who do CrossFit. I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's great. <laughs> they're, they're, they're in much better shape than I am. So it, it works. But what I've learned about CrossFit is CrossFit offers people what they're looking for, and that's community. And so you got unbelievers who find great community in CrossFit. And so a lot of times we come to church because we love, just as CrossFit members, we love community. We're, we're, we're natures of it, and we mistake that. So I mean, honestly, like, like, is the treasure? Now, before you guys start saying, well, David, really, I want to read some words of Jesus. This is Jesus, and this is kind of how we're going to end. Just reading the words of Jesus, okay? Matthew 10, verse 37. He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life will find it. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke chapter 14, verse 28, For which one of you intended to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Is the treasure worth this, is what he's saying. You've got to sit down and you've got to think, is Jesus worth this and this and this? Count the cost. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against the king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 men. Or else while the other is still great off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions for peace. Listen here. So likewise, whoever of you that does not forsake all that he has this is Jesus' words. Cannot be my disciple. Not maybe not, not possibly, not, not depending on what your pastor says that day, if you could or could not. Because I've heard pastors going to just, I'm not going to, I'm just letting Jesus speak. He says, you will not unless you forsake this for me. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Because when you find the treasure and you realize what you're gaining and what you're giving, it's not even close.
And that is what is going to cause you to be excited and walk in joy into your communities. That is what is going to get you to make a difference in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your homes. Some of y'all are the only believer in your home. And Jesus is saying, you be the leaven in the dough. But the only way that's going to happen is, is, has Jesus become a treasure for you?